This morning we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. I don't think we're going to cover all of this, but uh, we're going to at least read these verses. And actually, um, I had planned to preach from chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. But uh, the preparation just didn't work out. So <clears throat> this is a sermon that I preached here about 10 years ago. If any of you remember it, <clears throat> please forgive me. But um, we're preaching on the subject, stand fast. Stand fast. Reading again from Philippians chapter 4, and I'd ask you to stand if you would. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And you're going to have to bear with this frog I've got in my throat. I've got a terrible drainage that's uh, <clears throat> plaguing me, but uh, maybe we'll get through it. Oh, and by the way, did you notice our instruments up here? Did you notice the cello? Was that a cello? Uh, the, the cello is one of my favorite instruments. And uh, when we get to heaven, I'm praying that God will, if, if, if he won't let me sing in the choir, at least he'll let me play the cello. So, okay. Verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. <clears throat> Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's again go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we come into your presence. We commit this time into your hand. This is your blessed and sacred word. And help us that we might be faithful in explaining, expounding this word to the hearts of everyone here. Bless our service. Bless the heart of each one here that we might open our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I'm going to ask 
one of my granddaughters, if you will, to go get me a glass of water. <clears throat> Thank you, Christiana. <clears throat> Stand fast. We just read verse 1, Therefore, my beloved, and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Now, verse 1 is a transitional verse. Uh, it begins with the word, therefore. And we all know that uh, the therefore points back to what has previously uh, been said. And in the last verse... Verse 21 of chapter 3, he said, Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. And so uh, Paul is looking back to those two previous verses, verses 20 and 21, and that we are to take action based on what he has already said. Paul, in effect, has told them that they are a colony of heaven on earth. They are citizens of God's heavenly kingdom. But they are surrounded by the citizens and kingdoms of this world. So, as such, they are eagerly waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform their frail mortal bodies into glorious bodies like the Lord Jesus Christ. In light of this fact, they are to stand fast in the Lord. Now, as Paul was writing to the Philippian church, and as we heard this morning in Sunday school, Brother Steve sharing with us from uh, Colossians, uh, Paul writing to these churches, uh, and uh, his concern was that they would be Attacked by the enemies of the faith. They would be attacked by the enemies of the gospel. <clears throat> Therefore, they must stand fast. And uh, we'd like to think that here our little church is exempt from the enemies of the gospel that would attack and try to destroy the faith that was once delivered unto the saints but sadly, we've discovered that is not true. We are to stand fast. Paul was concerned for them, and what he is saying to them was an expression of his love for them. He said, my beloved and longed for brethren. Paul was their shepherd. They were his sheep. He loved them. He cared for them. He did everything that he could to provide them with all of the spiritual necessities that they would need. And so, my beloved and long-far brethren, he considers them to be his family. And uh, every true pastor, every true shepherd, that is his heart. And his life that the flock that he shepherds are his sheep. And uh, 
there is ever-present concern for them. Because his concern for them was because he considered them to be his joy and crown. The Philippians are his joy in the sense that they give him great joy when he thinks of them. They were real, a real bright spot in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul faced many challenges in his ministry. I think particularly of the church at Corinth and of the great challenge and the problems that he faced in trying to unravel and try to get that church back on track. But uh, the Philippian church was different. They were the bright spot in his ministry. They were the bright spot so much that they are his crown. This is not talking about a kingly crown, but the crown of honor, such as would be bestowed upon someone who won at the Olympic Games or because of some great achievement. Some of you may have witnessed this week the President Trump bestowed the Presidential Medal of Honor upon Bob Cousy. Now, how many of you know who Bob Cousy is? That's a sad, sad day. Bob Cousy is 92 years old, but he was a star player for the Boston Celtics. He was probably the greatest point guard in the history of basketball. He was called the Houdini of Hardwood because when the ball was in his hands, it was like magic. But Bob Cousy started out his life in a high-rise tenement that had no running water in New York City. And he grew up in poverty. But one day somebody put a basketball in his hand and he discovered the magic, what he could do with that ball. But he went on to live a life of dedication. And so yesterday it was the honor of President Trump to award Bob Cusey the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the highest medal that can be awarded to a civilian. And so Paul says that the Philippian church was his crown because he looked back on his ministry there from that first time in his second missionary journey when he came to Philippi and preached the gospel there. First of all, starting out down at the riverside, we remember Lydia there and some other women were meeting there for a prayer meeting. And uh, Paul led souls to the Lord there. And then, because of their preaching of the gospel there on the streets of Philippi, Paul and Silas were 
thrown into prison. And we remember that story so well how as they were in that innermost part of the prison, their hands and feet in stocks, the dark, dark dungeon. And yet Paul and Silas were praying and singing praises to God. And the Bible says the prisoners heard them and the jailer was saved by the grace of God. And so the Philippians became the bright spot, the jewel in Paul's crown. Because of all the churches that he planted around the Roman Empire, none had such a burden for souls. And giving so liberally and so generously for the gospel message that it might be spread. They sent their pastor all the way to Rome where Paul was in prison with a generous offering to help support Paul. They were his crown. And you know, over these last 17 and a half years that Barbara and I have been here at this church, we are glad to say that you are our joy and that you are our crown. And we thank God for this privilege that we have had to serve him here at this church. I know there's been problems. There's been difficulties. When we first came, walked into the door of the auditorium back there in December of 2001. The then pastor was up in the pulpit waving the church constitution, challenging the members. Long story short, he had to leave. And we came. They started out as interim pastor. I don't know if I'm still interim or not. But uh, it's been good. It's been good. And so with Paul, I can rejoice. And I can say you are our joy and our crown. And so Paul says you have enemies that are going to come in and attack and a challenge and uh, he uses the military term to stand fast. But standing fast is not enough. They must stand fast in the Lord. You see, we don't stand alone. We don't stand in our own strength. We stand in the strength of the Lord. And if we ever forget that, we're doomed to failure. We stand in the Lord. When we stand using the wisdom and methods of the world, we will fail. But we stand in the Lord in his perfect life, in his death for us on the cross, in his resurrection from the dead, and his intercession for us in heaven. And we are certain of victory. Point number one. 
as we look at this, this passage of Scripture. Stand fast in unity. Verses 2 and 3. Let me read these again. I implore Yodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, the Philippian church probably was not a large church, but had these two ladies in the church, Euodia and Syntyche. And uh, they had a problem. They had a disagreement. They had a dispute. And uh, there was the danger that that dispute between these two ladies could be brought into the church and cause division and distraction from the goal of the church, which is preaching the gospel and winning souls. That's always the danger. And uh, I, I thank God for the unity and the harmony that we've had here in our church down through these years. But I remember, of course I did, I actually don't remember it, but uh, I, I heard stories. You've heard me tell the story about this little country church where I went to church from when I was born until 1952 when it finally closed its doors. Shindra Lake Missionary Baptist Church. And uh, one set of my maternal great-grandparents were charter members of the church. William Lewis Turner and his wife, Jane Adeline Turner. But the other set of my great-grandparents, my maternal great-grandparents, Robert Judson Harrell and his wife Henrietta Stringer. Now my wife is a Stringer, so you want to watch her. <laughs> uh, but Henrietta, great-grandma Harrell, was what we call in Chinese a mulahu. Now, a mulahu is literally a mother tiger. They take over. They want to run things. And I'll not go into all the details there. But my Aunt Beulah, my mother's older sister, told me a harrowing tale of great-grandma Harold and her Mulahu's side of the family. Well, anyway, my Granny Turner, my mother's mother, married the son of William Lewis Turner and Jane Adeline Turner. And they were all in the same church. Great-Grandma Harold wanted to give a cow to the newly married couple. My great, my grandpa Turner and my granny. Well, 
The problem was that my grandpa decided he needed money more than he needed a cow. So he sold the cow. Now this is skeletons in the closet, okay? Grandma Harold, great-grandma Harold, didn't take kindly to what my grandpa had done. And she brought the feud into the church. And it was disrupting the whole church. So as a result, my great-grandma Harold, the Mulahu, and her spinster daughter, Aunt Kate, were excluded, excommunicated from the church. And as far as I know, she never returned to the church, which is kind of sad. But let's don't have any family feuds in our church, okay? Let's don't have any disputes. Let's have unity. So Euodia and Syntyche were problem. They were obviously influential women in the Philippian church. Their dispute had been brought into the church. It was threatening the unity of the church. There was danger that the church would be split into factions. An ever-present danger in the life of every church. And uh, I'm sure that some of us have been in churches where we've seen this happen. <clears throat> the result would be that other members of the church would take sides. But Paul's solution to this problem was to give a command to a brother in the church that he called in the New King James Version a true companion. Probably in the King James, it's a true yoke fellow. To help these women, to bring them together, to, to bring them back to harmony. Because they were two of Paul's partners in the gospel. If you remember back in chapter 1, uh, Paul said, I pray for you because you're my partners in the gospel. And so Paul asked the true companion. He's not identified. We don't know his name. We don't know who he is, but he was a faithful companion of Paul's, a partner in the gospel, who had labored with him in the Macedonia's field. And since it was a problem affecting the whole church, he tells true companion to recruit Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, let's get this problem resolved. Let's don't let it continue to ferment and to destroy and divide the church. And then he goes on to say, whose names are in the book of life. They are fellow citizens of this colony of heaven on earth. Unity, that is what we need. And uh, their names, what we need is our names written in the book of life. Because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Psalm 33, verse 1. This is a, a scripture that blesses my heart every time I read it because it takes me back to Taiwan, one of the churches that we helped establish there in Taiwan was the Pinglin Baptist Church out on the eastern suburbs of the city of Taichung. And uh, when we started the church, we had a Chinese co-worker by the name of Brother Lawrence Xie. And Brother Xie was an older pastor. And he had grown up on the China mainland in the Chinese church there. And one of the things that the Chinese church did during that period of time was to sing the scriptures. Sing the scriptures. And one of their favorites to sing was Psalm 133. Let me read these verses to you. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And uh, I wish that Barbara and I had learned that good enough so we could sing it for you in Chinese. But sadly, the pastor's wife was the one, her name was Sharon, Sharon Xie, and uh, she had a beautiful voice, and she would be at the back of the auditorium, but she was actually the one leading the singing, and uh, it, it was a blessing. Unity, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What a wonder it is when we have churches, because we're all, our names are written in the book of life, we all have that same foundation of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we have unity. Unity brings life to us. But Satan dreads unity. And Satan will do everything that he can to disrupt a church. And so often... He is successful. But may God help us that until Jesus comes, our church will dwell together in unity like this beautiful picture painted by Psalm 133. And I would say this also, that we want the Holy Spirit to be present in our services. We want him to come down and bless and guide and direct and save souls but God's spirit is quenched by disunity in a squabbling church and again I say I'm preaching to the choir I know that we have a group of people here who have demonstrated such great love and unity and I praise God for that well, point number two, I better hurry. Hmm, boy, I was... Brother Steve, we may not finish this sermon.
But number point number two, stand fast with joy. He said in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The subject of joy permeates the book of Philippians. Chapter 4, chapter 1, verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy. Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Then Philippians 2, 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Then Philippians 2.17. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And so Paul says, despite the fact that I'm being poured out, I'm being sacrificed, I'm here in prison for the gospel's sake. But may your hearts be filled with joy. Because I'm going to be glad and I'm going to rejoice no matter what. The secret of joy. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 6 through 9. Let me read these verses. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold and perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And yes, we discover that life is not always a bed of roses. There are problems and trials and persecutions and difficulties and disappointments that come in our life. But Peter said, along with the Apostle Paul, no matter what, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be glad. I'm going to let my heart be filled with joy. And so, down through the history of the church, God's people have been filled with joy in the midst of persecution. Written in the margin of the word biblical commentary on Philippians that I bought at half price bookstore for a good price. But when you buy commentaries like that, it's a delight when you see that it's all marked up. You know that somebody has read it. And maybe somebody has used that to teach the word of God. But here's what it said in this margin of the, Bible, uh, of the commentary. Joy allows one to see beyond any particular event to the sovereign hand who stands above all events and ultimately has control over them. And see, you see, this is the thing that we have to remember. 
God is the sovereign creator and ruler of the universe. And everything that happens to my life or your life or every person that's on the face of this planet, everything happened is because of the sovereign will of God. And because we know that and because we understand that, we have joy. We know what the end is going to be for us because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Lord. Well, let's move on. I'm going to have to skip some things here because uh, time got away from me this morning. I don't know how that happens. But um, the next point is stand fast with magnanimity. Let me read that verse. Verse 5 says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, where do we get stand fast with magnanimity out of that? Well, William Barclay, who theologically is not always dependable, but when it comes to the Greek language, he's a true expert. And here's what Barclay said. Epikia, the, the word translated gentleness or magnanimous, it's an all, almost untranslatable word in Greek. But here are some of the ways that it is translated. Sweet reasonableness, gentle, yielding, kind, forbearing, lenient. Those are just some of the words used to try to express its meanings. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Epikia is the willingness to yield one's personal rights and to show consideration, gentleness, and kindness to others. Again, quoting Barclay. A man has the quality of epikia when he knows not to apply the letter of the law. If he knows when to relax justice and to introduce mercy. It's easy to display this quality toward some people. Paul commands that it be shown toward all. That would include Christian friends, unsaved persecutors, false teachers, anyone at all. Truth is never to be sacrificed, but a spirit of gentleness and magnanimity will do much to disarm the adversary. Just one example. You remember the story where the Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus. She had been caught in the very act of adultery. And the Mosaic law demanded that such a sin be punished with death by stoning. And so they brought her to Jesus. We all know that story, how Jesus bent down, or 
and wrote on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. But when he stood back up, he discovered that one by one, her accusers had walked away or slinked away. And Jesus asked her, where are your accusers? Does no one accuse you now? And she said, no, Master, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So she deserved the punishment. But Jesus applied gentleness, epikia, to this woman. So that she might begin a new life. And sometimes as we deal with people today. We need to have that forbearing spirit, that patient spirit, that willingness to yield. And then, last point, stand fast by being prayerful instead of anxious. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. Well, is worry a good thing or a bad thing? I think we all know that it's, it's a terrible negative in our lives when we worry all the time instead of putting our problems, our burdens on the Lord. They were worrying because of the persecution they faced. In Paul, the latter part of chapter 1, he talks about uh, that persecution. And let me turn quickly and just read those verses. Verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast, there is that word again, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And so, sometimes we don't take Paul's words to heart. We worry. And worry tears us down. Tears our faith down. Keeps us from being the Christian warriors that God wants us to be. You all know Jesus there in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and um, I'm not going to read that whole passage. It's uh, verses 25 through 34. But uh, Paul, uh, Jesus talks about worry. Don't worry. Because... All of the problems that you're having now, God's going to take care of them. 
Going back to the Psalms, one of my favorite Psalms. Verse 1, do not fret or worry because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. Then verses 7 and 8, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Three times in these three verses, we have the admonition, do not fret. And incidentally, you know, we all read different translations of the Bible. But in all five translations that I looked at, the King James Version, the Amplified Bible, the New American Standard Bible, the NIV, and the New King James Version, all of them translated the same way. Do not fret. Webster says that fret means to eat away, to gnaw. Or to wear away by gnawing, rubbing, corroding. Or to irritate, vex, annoy, worry. When we first went to Taiwan, <clears throat> we discovered that <clears throat> Taiwan has a particular kind of termite that likes to get in furniture. And uh, in the first little house that we lived in, there in the capital city of Taipei, our bed headboard had one of those wood-eating termites inside it. And at night when we would go to bed, and try to go to sleep, what did we hear? We would hear that gnawing, 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 chomping on that wood. Well, that's a picture of what worry is. That's what David is saying. Do not worry. Don't let the worry gnaw away at your life, at your heart, at your life so that you cannot be effective in him. The meaning of the Hebrew word translated, do not fret, is to burn, to be kindled, and it's used of anger. Whatever fret means, it is something inside of us that is like a burning, smoldering fire. The Hebrew word here translated, do not fret, is in the hithphal or reflexive stem. It's a reflexive verb, which is... The subject and the object are the same. Example, he is great becomes he made himself great or he magnified himself. So the meaning here is don't cause yourself to burn. In other words, most worry is self-inflicted. It's self-inflicted because we are taking our eyes off of God who is our protector and our provider and our supplier. We need to keep our eyes on him.
It teaches us that worry is like a fire burning inside of us. And if you play with fire, we've all heard, you'll get burned. And again, worry is always self-inflicted. It is not normal. God is not pleased when we worry. So what is the antidote? Well, results of worry are ulcers, high blood pressure, arthritis, and only known we could we could go. We're told that seven tenths of illness is mental. But don't worry. Trust God. And then he tells us here that we are to pray. We must take everything to God in prayer. Submit to God's will, whether his answer is yes or no. Trust in him. And the key, Paul says, to bring them with thanksgiving. And so Paul says, if you will do these things, the peace of God will guard your heart. Let's read that verse again. I think it's verse 9. The things which you learned and received. No, that's not it. Um, <clears throat> I failed to write it down. Verse 7. Thank you. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. That is the promise we have. And uh, among certain circles of Christians in Taiwan, particularly among the Taiwanese-speaking Churches, their greeting is always pingan, which is peace, which comes from the Hebrew word shalom, peace of God. And that's what we need because that peace will guard our hearts. If we have that peace anchored in the sovereign will of God that gives us hope, for the present and the future, it will serve as a guard that will protect our hearts and minds from anxiety, depression, and defeat, and worry that plagues so many people. So, Brother Steve, would you come lead us in our hymn of invitation? And hymn number 407, would you stand with us together as we...